Morning, everybody. Um, I'm Jeff, if we've never met before, and uh, we're going to read God's Word this morning. And uh, I was just thinking, as Bronwyn prayed for the Christians in North Korea, what a privilege it is that we have this freedom here in Australia to come together freely, without persecution or anything like that, and we can open God's Word and read it. So let's do that. We're reading today from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 16 to 62. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Tim. Uh, I'm one of the ministers here at OEC. I'm going to be opening up this passage uh, for us. We're going to be thinking a little bit about identity, but first, uh, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, that uh, in Christ we are a new creation, and I pray, Lord, that uh, we might be able to think about that, we might be able to understand that, and that we might be able to apply that uh, to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, uh, one of the most exciting moments in every teenager's life is that moment where you go down to maybe the Robin Hood Hotel. Uh, as you're walking in, there's a bouncer at the door and they put their hand out to stop you. And then you get to reach in, pull out your wallet, and you get to show them your ID. And this is the moment where you get to say, uh, it doesn't matter if I'm a baby-faced boy who's never put a razor to my cheek. It doesn't matter if I'm a girl who looks more likely to be babysat than to babysit. Uh, in the eyes of the government and in the hand of that bouncer is proof that I am now an adult. Uh, that is the way I identify myself and that is how you must see me and you get to walk in to the Robin Hood Hotel. Of course, 10 years later, you'll have uh, another moment which is as uh, saddening as that earlier one is exciting, 
I had a similar one where I was walking in with two young people that I worked with. They pulled out their IDs and they walked through. And as I pulled out my ID, the bouncer said, mate, you don't need to get that out. In you go. Uh, At 17, we long to be 18. I want to identify myself as an adult. Uh, This is central to who I understand myself to be. And I'm excited by that. At 28, you long to tell yourself that I'm still youthful, that still people see me as a young person, that I'm a young adult. I'm not a real adult yet. Uh, Identity is important. How we identify ourselves and how we identify others helps us make sense of the world that we're in. In 2018, James McDonald, who's a pastor of a megachurch in Chicago, dressed up as a homeless man for a whole week. They had multiple campuses, and he spent days sitting outside of different campuses to see how people would respond. Now, on one side, I think that's a little bit creepy, kind of testing your parishioners, but at the same time, it was fascinating to see the kind of response that he got. Uh, He reported, this is him walking through the church at the end of the week, uh, that there were some people for whom uh, their response was uh, just to uh, really act as if he was invisible. If his identity as a homeless person, that makes them feel uncomfortable and therefore it was easier just to imagine that he didn't exist at all. It was problematic for them uh, in his identity. But on the flip side, James shared how encouraged he was to see people come and sit with him and bring him a coffee and to chat with him and to pray with him and that there were people who looked at him and saw not only a homeless man but somebody who was made in God's image, who had fundamental dignity and value and he was so impressed by how many Christians as they walked to the church sat with him and cared for him. How we identify ourselves... And how we identify others helps us make sense of the world and it makes us make sense of God's place in this world. So as we're thinking about this this morning, we're going to be thinking about four things. I'm breaking out of my Anglican roots and we're going to have four points instead of three. Uh, Firstly, we're going to think a little bit about uh, identity as a tree. It's not just one thing, but there are multiple branches. Uh, Secondly, what is our identity at our core? What's at the trunk of our identity? what it means to have a new identity, and finally, identifying what does this actually mean? What does it mean for me to understand who I am and to understand who other people are as well? Uh, Well, one of the many great things about uh, moving to Orange has been uh, I get to enjoy four legitimate seasons for the first time in my life. Uh, Nine months of winter and then three months where you get one of the other things uh, each month. Uh, But my favourite moment has really been when you go from summer and you look out and things are a lush and verdant green and then we hit autumn and you see the buzz and crackle as things turn to orange and yellow and brown and then finally you have that moment as I'm sitting in my office across the way and I look out and all I see is the skeleton of a tree. All the leaves are gone and it's down to the core, it's down to the trunk. There's a deep sense in which our identity is like that kind of tree. There are aspects like leaves on a tree that are seasonal and they come and go with time. So I'm noticing at the moment that as we move out of winter, the people that usually wear their Barnstonworth football club hoodie, they're the ones who are now thinking, do I have to get my cricket gear out? Am I going to be a Cavs person or an Orange City person? These are the things that change with the shape and the rhythm of our year. 
how am I going to spend my Saturday's changes as it goes from one neat hour to a game that just crushes your weekend as your whole Saturday is eaten up by a bat and a ball. Not that I have strong opinions on this. Uh, and at this level, there are a thousand different ways that we see how our identity works. I love music. That's part of my identity. I love math. I like sport. I like spelunking. I like pizza. I like pineapple on pizza. That should be criminal. Uh, some of our passions, of course, as well, are thicken into not something that's just a leaf that comes and goes with the seasons, but something that's like a branch of our personality. When you not only like to get out on your bike, but you love everything about bikes all of the time. And sometimes these things grow a little bit too far. In the 1980s, uh, Percival Legoo, a Filipino man, decided he was going to get a kid's meal because it had a, a, a Popeye toy and he really loved Popeye. Uh, but that started a collection, that started an interest, that started an obsession, and now he's in the Guinness World Records for the largest kid's meal toy collection in the world. Uh, but where things get interesting is that Legoo uh, living uh, in the Philippines is part of a large family and they all live together. So he has his uh, parents, his siblings, his nieces and nephews are all in the same house. And as his collection continued to grow and push toward 20,000 toys, they were running out of spaces for the family to sit. You can't eat if there's not a table to eat on. And so what do you do? Do you say, well, I love my family mo uh, more? No, you build a new house for your toys a house in the shape of a Happy Meal box. Uh, Percival uh, is a son, he's a brother, he's an uncle. But the thing that appears to take number one priority for him, the thing that deserves a brand new house, is a thing that should have been a leaf on the tree of his personality, but it's become his obsession. So much so that it rules everything else, uh, even things that a reasonable person might say is more important. And I want to suggest that this is a, a challenge for all of us. This is a reality for all of us in some way. Uh, looking for a clear sense of identity is important for everyone to pursue, but the challenge is to ask ourselves that question, uh, what is peripheral, what is the leaf on the tree, and what is essential? Who, are, who am I really at, at the core? And actually, this is one of the key themes. This is a story that we see uh, throughout God's Word in the Bible. Right at the beginning in Genesis, Adam and Eve are unambiguous in their understanding of their identity. Uh, they're God's people in God's place. They're made by God and they're made to relate to him and to each other and the creation that they have responsibility for. This is the core. This is the trunk of their identity. God has made it and it was good. But as a serpent enters the picture and tempts Adam and Eve, the foundation of that temptation is really the challenge of identity. Don't believe what God tells you. You are the author of you, and you determine what is most important. The God who is the creator and sustainer of all things is relegated to just being a, a character in the story of Adam and Eve, where they are the ones who are supposed to be in control. But to deny who made them, to deny the God who uh, created them and has given them purpose is to fall out of favour with him. And it also means Adam and Eve fall out of the Garden of Eden. If they're going to ignore God's good purposes, then they would experience the consequences of that through broken relationship and separation from God. 
And actually, we see this theme, this pattern, are repeated again and again in the Old Testament. What does it mean to ground your identity in the God who made you? Or to ground it in something else? And so we see Abraham who trusts God, and that's credited to him as righteousness. But at the same time, he struggles with questions of his identity. He sees himself as a vulnerable person, and he's worried about the world. And therefore, he passes off his wife as his sister on multiple occasions so that he doesn't get uh, killed or hurt by uh, other uh, foreign people who might want to do that. We see it for God's chosen people, Israel. Uh, Moses leads them out of captivity and brings them into the desert. They're waiting for God's uh, promises that he's going to take them to the promised land. And then the nation uh, amazingly says, I'd rather identify with security in Egypt right now than to deal with the uncertainty of waiting for God's promises uh, into the future. Uh, later on in Old Testament history, Israel will get wrapped up in their identity as a matter of their, their street address. You have this uh, powerful moment in, in Ezekiel uh, where uh, God's people living in Jerusalem say, no, who we are is people who live in this city and this is what we're all about. And even though Ezekiel says uh, God's glory is going to leave and his spirit is no longer going to be with the people in uh, Jerusalem, uh, they don't leave. And in the end, the eventual outworking is that Jerusalem itself is uh, destroyed and even the temple, the thing that's supposed to be the symbol of God's presence amongst his people, is shattered. But instead, God is with his people in captivity in Babylon. The heart of the problem for Israel throughout the Old Testament is how they identify themselves. Uh, is God just a branch or maybe even a leaf in who they are? Or do they see themselves at the core as being a people in a relationship with their maker? And when they fail to recognize that, and when we fail to recognize that, sometimes willfully and uh, sometimes just by ignorance, that we're made by God, that we're God's creations, that we're living in a world that is made by, sustained by him, uh, then there is a consequence for that. And this is at its heart what the Bible calls sin. The problem sin uh, of sin in a broken world starts with the denial of who we are at our core when we replace the stamp of our creator and instead we say, I get to stamp who I am and I get to decide what is most important in my life. We mistake things that are maybe branches or leaves with the trunk of who we are. And often it's a problem because when we think of sin, we tend to think of robbing houses and kicking puppies and things like that. But the Bible says that our broken relationship with God just like Adam and Eve, it more often reflects uh, taking a good thing and making it the best thing or the only thing and not just taking bad things and doing those. Our identity first and foremost is as people created by God and the importance of understanding what is at the trunk and what is the leaves is what helps us really make priorities in our lives. What are the things that are most important? Because getting things in order is important. Uh, I really love listening to music, as many people do. I enjoy listening to Spotify. Uh, but, of course, uh, I used to be a librarian, and that means at the moment, um, more than listening to music, if I'm, I don't know, cooking a curry at home, I'm more likely to stick the headphones in my ears and listen to an audio book because that is the thing that is more important to me. Uh, but whether or not I love listening to music or reading books, 
If my kids need help with a project or they have to go to a sport, I put those other things aside and I do that because I'm a father and that is more important to me than music or books or so many other things. I put down the secondary things because I know that that primary thing is important. But the problem comes when we mistake these secondary things for the more important thing. Uh, One of my uh, all-time favourite books is a book by uh, C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. Uh, It's In this story, a number of people are brought up to the foothills of heaven and they have an opportunity to walk up that hill and enter the heavenly gates. And Lewis looks at it as people find different ways to turn back, other things that they make an idol in their life, which means they turn their backs from God uh, and they get caught up in their own identity. Uh, One of the most heartbreaking uh, sections of that book for me is when it has a mother uh, who says all she wants is for her son to come down so she can love him and then everything else she can work out after that. Uh, But one of the angels who's speaking to her says, your son is already there. What you need to do is let go of the fact uh, that your identity is not as uh, his mother. Uh, You are a child of God and once you accept that, you can not only have God, you can have your son as well. But you see the idol for her when she says, no, all I want is to have him and to love him the way that I want to and I can't do it any other way. And so she misses out on both things as something that is a good thing, that is a glorious thing that we celebrate as a people has become an idol that actually keeps her from really loving her son the best way and really knowing the God who made her and her son. This is the challenge, whether it's family or food, or sex, or power, or an infinite number of other options, we all struggle with wanting to be masters of our own identity and to ignore that core reality. It's such a deep problem that this is what God has come to show us how to do it in the person and work of his son. This is why the God who made everything enters into his very own creation, So that through the person and work of Jesus, even before his birth, we can see uh, what real identity is. Uh, We see it in Matthew chapter 1 where we're told that Mary will give birth to a son and they are to name him Jesus, which means saviour, because he will save his people from their sins. We see that Jesus understands who he is at the core Uh, So much so that when he's 12 years old and his family go to a a trip to Jerusalem, uh, his parents lose him and they find him a couple of days later. And this is what he says in in, uh, Luke chapter 2. Why were you searching for me as he's gone to the the temple? Uh, Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? He doesn't deny his family, but he understands that at his core uh, who he is. Most importantly, Jesus understood what it meant for him to carry his identity, not only as God's son, but also as a human being born with all of the frailties that we experience as well. When Peter makes a glorious declaration in Matthew 16 that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus shakes his disciples to the core by spelling out what this means for him. That he began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, to be killed and to be raised on the third day. Fundamental to our reality is the reality that we are made by God with purpose, but also the reality that we so often understand who we are at our core and to recognise that Jesus came to live our identity perfectly 
both as a son of God and as a human being. And that in rising again from the dead, Jesus offers us new life, a new start. Uh, the rotten trunk of our, our old identity when we get caught up in our souls is replaced by something new and true and good. As we see this, uh, it, uh, we see it in our passage. Maybe you're wondering where we're getting to 2 Corinthians at all. Hopefully you still have it in front of you. From now on then, verse 16, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet we no longer know him in this way. That is to understand our core identity as people who've been made by God with purpose and intention. That means we see everything and everyone differently. That means, friends, you can sit around this morning and you can cast your eyes around the, uh, the people in this room. And you're not just seeing friends that you know or maybe the new person that you're hoping to chat to at morning tea. You are seeing people who have been made in the image of God and are dearly loved by him. But it also means uh, when you're walking back to your car later this morning feeling resentment for those cyclists, uh, knowing that they are also made in the image of God and that the guy with the lollipop stick that determines whether or not you stop or go and you have to wait in your car, uh, they are made and loved by God as well. They are people that God longs to see, uh, come to know him and to come into an eternal relationship with him. The same goes for our kids as they are out uh, in their kids' programs. For the party of four that isn't at church today, they're at Duntry League waiting to, uh, to uh, uh, tee off. It's true for the family of nine living in one room in a favela in Brazil or the gazillionaire who's in the Hamptons just leaving his summer home. It's true for the billions of people you and I will never, ever meet. Uh, that they're not just anonymous characters in a merciless universe but they are people that God loves and that Jesus died for and that at their very core, that is their identity, part of God's good creation and people who need to know the Son of God who offers them new life. And we see them in a new light because we see Jesus in a new light. Not just a great teacher or an encouraging example, but he is the Saviour who offers us new identity. We're not just made in God's image. If we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we are redeemed by God's Son. Look what verse 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Last week, we looked at fulfillment. We saw that God is the fixed point on which our fulfillment finds its, its truest sense. Everything else in the world swings up and down like a wave, but God is the constant. And this week we see that this is true for our identity as well. If we're looking for something that defines us as a person, at the trunk, at the very roots of who we are, then we need to look to the eternal and the consistent God who created us and is the, made us and gives us sense and purpose and value. He makes us new. So this is the point where we say, okay, this is fine. We find our identity in God, but what does it actually mean for me? I want to say a couple of things on this. Firstly, that when we understand our identity in God, it shapes the way we see every other thing that might be an indicator of my identity as a person. This is where we hit one of the hot button areas about sex and sexuality. This might be the moment where we anticipate, okay, we're going to speak about the LGBTQIA plus uh, area, but actually I want to suggest 
uh, that to do so would actually be a, a massive area of concern and maybe even unbiblical uh, because to focus on one little thing is actually to miss the reality for all of us as individuals. Uh, research by the University of Melbourne done four years ago uh, indicated that 85% of men and 60% of women uh, regularly look at pornogra pornographic things on the internet. So to focus on a particular subgroup uh, is to misrepresent the reality of the relationship that our culture as a whole has with sex and sexuality. In a world where sex sells everything and we have unlimited uh, access to instant gratification, we need to deal with the challenge for every person to remind ourselves that our sexual drives are not our defining characteristic as people. And that if the God at the core of our identity has declared that we ought to express our sexuality in particular ways, this means that every one of us needs to uh, wrestle with this. Uh, for the Christian author Rebecca McLaughlin, it meant for her uh, dealing with the experience of her same-sex attraction and the reality that, that she later on got married and had several kids. Uh, while for the author and Anglican minister Vaughan Roberts, uh, the great challenge for him is he said, I've always experienced same-sex attraction and so I choose to live a celibate life. He also uh, subsequently wrote an amazing book uh, about friendship and talking about how when we sexualize culture so much, uh, we devalue and often even deny uh, the glorious beauty of deep and meaningful platonic relationships that people can have, uh, that our whole lives aren't defined by one particular characteristic. Uh, for married couples, it might mean uh, honouring their relationship with their spouse even when some of the romance feels like it's gone, the chocolate and the flowers are no longer there. Uh, for young men who are seeking, uh, it might mean being disciplined and honourable toward women when you're part of a footy team that treats women as objects rather than people. Uh, we all have the opportunity to assess how we express our first identity and how that shapes our, the way we see other things, whether or not it's about sex or power, or ego. I've mentioned uh, before from the front that one of the challenges uh, for the church, where the church gets caught up in this, is that we don't uh, create an idol which is the family. In doing so, we marginalise people who've remained single or maybe who've found themselves going through a painful divorce or the loss of a spouse, uh, where we say if you're really part of this community, you have to look this particular way and be shaped by particular things and we make people feel like they are not actually a part of this glorious and beautiful family that is the church. Uh, that we, When we get caught up in this, we deny a diverse community that has different branches and different leaves of different colours. Uh, we all have our own challenge and we navigate this for ourselves. But as we do this, as a secondary thing, hopefully that cha changes the way we see the people around us as well. Uh, it's easy to create a, a kind of idea of us and them. There are the Christians and then there are those who are unsaved and they are very much other. But it is good to be rem reminded of the fact uh, that people are made in God's image. Uh, that in their identity, whether or not they recognize it, uh, they are part of God's creation. And that God longs to see people sink deep roots into eternal life as they come to a saving knowledge of God. 
And so as we see ourselves as a new creation, hopefully that means that we see other people, all people, as people who are struggling with identity, who need to know who they are, to know who God is, and to know how they might have new life as well. Because how we identify ourselves and how we identify others changes everything. Lastly, one of the glorious mysteries of the gospel is that even though we're aware of our own inadequacies, even though we're aware that this is a struggle for us, God in his grace and mercy uses us to declare this good news to other people as well. Listen to the words you see in verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our friends, God is calling you to your true identity. It's not fleeting like so many of the interests and urges we might have. It's not fickle like the uh, cultural moment that we might get caught up in that is so important now but will disappear in 10 years' time. But God's eternal promises and true identity will never change, never spoil or perish or fade, and it's an identity that we carry forever with him. Let's thank him for that now in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Uh, Lord, we do thank you uh, that you love us that you call us into a new creation and new life in you. Uh, We hope, Lord, and pray that you would help us see uh, those things that are core, our identity in you, and those things that are peripheral, and that we, we might treat them as such. And as we do so, Lord, we thank you that you use us to declare uh, the goodness of identity in you to others and pray, Lord, that the people of Orange would hear this would acknowledge this and would come to a saving relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.